now at the end, we 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 hear Pritchett Maharaj is addressing Sukadeva's Mahayogini. You are the you are the great yogi. Uh, this is really the be all and end all of of, of yoga. The, the supreme idea of union with the absolute. What you're teaching me, what you're talking about. Hmm? So again, as I say, in the language in which he with which he addresses Sukadeva, this is uh, uh, notable and uh, and. Uh, the point is again brought out. He says that further that param kotu halam guru that you are my guru and you have very much uh, perked my um, curiosity with what you've said by way of saying that this leela was not discussed amongst the cowards for a year. So you could tell he was paying attention because he thought. Obviously, they're going to go home and tell this story to everybody, and this is huge. Um, how can they keep quiet about it? How could you have this happen in a day and go home and say nothing about it for a year? Hmm? So we might have heard this, if Sukadev had, if Prichard hadn't asked, thought, I wasn't told for a year. Okay, next, next. But he's a good student, and he's very attentive is the point. So he, he, he inquires further, and this very much... Uh, is meant to underscore for us the fact that this type of a setting, like here I'm sitting and you're listening, is a two-way kind of affair. Hmm? It's not a one-way affair. If you're all sleeping during the discourse, well, 50% of the of the of what it what is uh, constitutes the equation in which the the uh, the uh, some divine insight will manifest will not be present. Hmm? So the more attentive, interested, um, uh, serious is the listener, then the greater capacity there will be for the speaker to, to um, draw something down. And indeed the inquiry is, is it's, 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 you see it's thought from both sides, from each perspective differently. The, the the inquirers are thinking, well, he's just speaking great, and the, and then the the speaker is thinking they were really interested and was really animating me, and they were bringing so many things down as a uh, as a result of that. Hmm? So th- this is the whole dynamic of the conversation between Sukadev and Prichard, and of course, the setting is is given in the Bhagavatam, as I mentioned briefly. It's a very intense setting. The king has been cursed to die in seven days. He's sitting on the bank of the Ganges. And it's said that he, his attentiveness is also underscored by the fact that he listened for seven days and seven nights and without uh, taking the time to eat. Hmm? So fasting, um, he, 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 this is how attentive he was. So this is instructive for us. Of course, he had seven days to live, which means in, in seven days he would die. And as I've often said, the lesson is that in, we all have only seven days to live. It was Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And one of them, we will, we will die in terms of how we think of ourselves at the present moment. Hmm? We have seven days. So uh, we should be Attentive. This is this this is what what's being discussed here is the solution to, to the problem of death. And that's like what could be more pertinent, more important, more significant of a topic. Hmm? Uh, so it's not a dusty old book talking about something that's not relevant in today's world. This is the, this is the setting, hmm? and the king, the emperor, is just fixed on. Sukadev, who appeared on the scene, of course, naked as a youth, and all the sages could understand, oh, he's like, whatever he says will be interesting because he is, he's, he's conquered death. In other words, he is not attached to anything. His nakedness uh, makes that point. He's not attached to anything, and death is only a problem as much as we're attached to things that we can't keep. Hmm? You can imagine if you weren't attached to if you if you get a new pair of shoes and then then you have to worry about it in India some guy might steal it if, if you leave them at the door of the temple hmm? 
so the so the gyanis for in Gyanmarg, for example, or the tapasvis, uh, aesthetics doing austerities, they they tend to to never get any any ni- any nice things. They don't want any nice things, because then they just have to worry about somebody will steal them something. Like that. Whereas if it's not very didn't, didn't cost much and take much, then if somebody takes it, it's no big deal. Something like that. So they're very careful not to be. Uh, Attached to to anything, bhakti mark, of course, is a little bit different. We're attached to things for Krishna, and we can be in anxiety for for Krishna. We, we don't, we're not. That's that's um, that's um, the nature of service. Service has ups and downs, but they don't really. It doesn't bother the servant because he's only there to serve. So whether it's hard service or easy service, uh, the idea is to please the master, and that's all that matters. So. Uh, that's how we do away with the, the very basic material tendency to want to find a good situation and avoid bad situations, find happiness, avoid distress. That's kind of what we're doing all the time. But if our focus is, uh, my service is only to please um, my my master, then it, it, it doesn't matter if there's dis- distress or happiness in the context of that. Hmm? I've given the example of Miguel, who works for us down in in Costa Rica at Madhavan, and he was digging trenches one day for putting the electric wire down to the uh, hi- microhydro turbine in the river. It's hard work. So he came the next day. I said, well, I thought I'd give you something a little easier to do today. And he said, it doesn't matter. He said, "My, you're the boss. My job is to please you. It doesn't matter if it's hard work or Easy work, or it, that has no bearing. My job is just to please you. So it's a perfect it's an illustration of what, what is very central to bhakti in terms of making a solution to this way in which our life is is moving on these two tracks to avoid distress and find happiness. Hmm? Um, and of course. Uh, uh, by by overcoming that, we go within and we, we find that um, there's no place, and this will come later on as we go on, there's no place more comfortable than, than there's no place like home, I should say. And home is in the heart, in the purified heart. Hmm? There's nothing we can do externally that will um, compare to what the kind of place we can create, if you will, within. Hmm? So, um, so, at any rate, the king is. This is the setting. It's a very, it's very intense, and and he's paying great, hanging on every word. All the sages stood up. Sukadev came. They knew he 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 has something to say. He's he solves death. Hmm? I mean, it's a philosophical solving to the death problem. But that's 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 what we can do. Uh, you cannot solve the death problem from a biological point of view. But we are taught that we are not biological. By nature, life, by nature, is 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 not biological. There is a biological, um, smaller circle of of life, if you will, within a larger circle, uh, in which we understand that consciousness is life. Hmm? Consciousness again is experiential existence. Matter is non-experiential existence. Hmm? So. Life is experiencing, hmm? and it's consciousness that experiences, and then in connection with matter, its experiencing takes a shape in the form of what we call a biological life. Hmm? So that biological life will come to an end. But we, as a living entity, will only be troubled by that as much as we've identified it with the biological life, become attached within that circle of biological life, at the cost of uh, understanding uh, our own position as a unit of first-person subjective experience, consciousness, that exists in all, at all times. In other words, if the idea is, if something doesn't exist, it never will. If it exists, it will never you know, not exist. And existence, I want to say experiential existence, 
does not come out of non-experiential existence. Just like I've said before, if we're playing pool, we don't expect at some point the, the eight balls are going to go, hey, could you put a little chalk on that thing? You know, Could you put me in a different hole for a change? It's never going to respond like that. We laugh because it's absurd. Hmm? But there's nothing in our brain that is, that, however sophisticated the brain is, for example, that, that it's not made of anything different than what pool balls are made out of. Hmm? So we don't expect pool balls, pool balls to speak back to us, billiard balls. Uh, so the brain is not the uh, center of experience. Experiencing is, is consciousness, and it's different from matter. So, um, so if consciousness, as we say, is not reducible to matter, it's ontologically different, hmm? then that which is any material manifestation, we know, is bound by time and space. Hmm? So if we are constituted of something that is not reducible to matter, that's ontologically independent and different, different substance altogether from matter, then that means what? That we are not governed by time and space which means we have no beginning and we have no end. That's good, good news. Hmm? So, therefore, we say the atma is sat. Hmm? And it's also chit, in that it's, it's different from matter and that it's experiential. So it's, it, it can know. Hmm? We don't, uh, again, we don't, it can, it can experience, it can feel, it can, it's cognizant. It's not just a, a robot, just a computer. Hmm? And we also, it's, so it's chit. Hmm? And then we see also that it exists and it knows and it seems to have a purpose. And its purpose is, is to enjoy. Hmm? And to say it another way, is, is to love. So it is a unit of ananda also. All in search of itself, in search of enduring existence, in terms of overcoming ignorance and knowing. We are in search of knowing and we are in search of loving. And the news is, stop searching. You are a unit of being, knowing and loving. Hmm? Don't look uh, out there to find it, to get it by moving uh, matter around. Look within. Hmm? So... Uh, so, this is obviously, as I say, an important uh, topic. This is uh, uh, for all times, and, uh, and not just an ancient uh, story. Uh, Parikshit Maharaj is, is very concerned about this. He wants to solve the death problem, and it's thought, thought Sukadev appears to have solved the problem. Again, it's a philosophical kind of solution, but then it, you apply the philosophy, and it's practical as well. Consciousness is not biological. I've said before that there are something like 128 or 168 or something like that, I forget what it is, that they say, the uh, uh, scientific community says, questions that science has not yet answered. Hmm? And right at the top of the list there is, what is the biological makeup of consciousness? Hmm? They're trying to figure out what is the biological makeup of consciousness. And as you can see, there's a bias in the very question. To be unbiased and scientific about the question would be, is there a biological makeup to consciousness? There's an assumption from the start that there's a biological makeup to everything, and everything is of the natural order, there's nothing supernatural, so we'll figure this. People talk about consciousness being supernatural or souls or not, but anyway, we don't have to deal with that superstition. We, we haven't answered the question yet, but we will. But, it, but, it, but, but it's, a, it's a, again, it's a bias with, in it, which is unscientific. Hmm? Not, to be objective is, uh, of course, what is called for in, 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 in such uh, uh, scientific pursuits and not have a preconceived notion. Hmm? Of course, they have a notion based on evidence, but, that, but evidence is all interpreted. <laughs> so they have a mindset. Mm-hmm. They've seen, for example, 
many things have been superstitions only, and by science we've revealed it's only a superstition. We're making so much progress in so many areas as it's thought. Um, um, and so this is just another area. But if you look carefully, you see in, in this area, in this area of consciousness and understanding it, no progress has been made. Hmm. No progress has been made. It's as big, if not a bigger, a bigger question than ever before. That can't. That they're trying to make it into matter, and how to do that, and to show that it's just matter, and there's no such thing as a, as a supernatural reality or a a, a um, survival, if you will, after death, hmm. biological death. So they try to show they're convinced about this, because they've been successful in other areas of science, um, uh, demonstrating the how of things and taking the mystery out of them and so forth. But in this area, there's been no progress. Hmm. I've mentioned before that I heard John Searle, who's famous um, in this field of philosophy of mind, said that, I think that, we asked the question, I think in a thousand years of science that, you know, we'll be able to answer the question as to the biological you know, makeup of, of consciousness. And I had a, just a real chuckle. And he said at the same time, if we could just get over these religious kind of like, you know, uh, oppression that we've suffered from for decades and centuries of thinking about it in the wrong way, if we could just get over that and then a thousand years of science, I think we would definitely answer the question. And I had a chuckle because... On two accounts, a thousand years of modern science is just unbelievably long amount of time. I mean, the the, the way in which science progresses now is ex, this is like exponentially. You know, they're more equipped to do what they you know have been doing for two hundred years in terms of investigating the natural world. So a thousand years of that is like means means you don't know anything about consciousness is what he's really saying. And then the idea of the religious oppression, I thought, to me, it's more the other way around, that science is oppressive in that it's counterintuitive and tries to tell us, or some people in the scientific community, they try to tell, in the philosophical community, they try to tell us that consciousness is not causal. It's not like at the, at the basis, the base of existence. Like I said, uh, you cannot deny consciousness because that requires consciousness. So it's like, it's primal. It's 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 the it's the bottom line. It's it's what's real. What you can't do away with. Hmm? You can dismiss everything, but you can't dismiss consciousness because consciousness is required to to dismiss anything. Hmm? So um, this is what we naturally think. This is how we live our lives. We live our lives as if we exist. We can't prove it in the laboratory. That our experience of what we what we are. It's a private, subjective experience. We can't prove that objectively to anybody. But we, we don't wait for that to be proven, to wake up in the morning and to live our lives. We, we, we live um, based on our subjective experience. We don't wait for everything to be objectively demonstrated before we proceed. That would be, we, we, again, we, we'd all stay in bed. We'd die. <laughs> we, <laughs> so... Um, so Uh, rather than religious centuries of religion being oppressive, I thought the natural way, the natural direction in which humanity goes hmm, with regard to consciousness is to think about it in, in the way that it has for centuries. The unnatural way, the counterintuitive way, is that there, there's really nobody there. I know it feels like there's somebody in there and there's a you, but there is really no you. There's really no self in there. There's no. It's just these... Uh, neurons going off and uh, there's nothing different between you and a computer other than that you're a more sophisticated computer. That's not how we naturally think and feel and that's not how we act. We act because if that's true, there's no overriding meaning and purpose to life. We live our life as if there is meaning, purpose, there's a why to things, there are real and... and um, um, real values and so on and so forth, but you see, if there, if consciousness is is matter, hmm, 
then nothing really matters. There's, there's no difference between what we're doing right now, having this conversation, and billiard balls bumping up against one another. There's no more meaning. You think there's more meaning, but that's just the foolishness of the human condition. So then the question comes up, why are you even talking to me about it? Why are you so bent on trying to convince me that, that there's no, you know, what, really what you're trying to convince me, there's no meaning to the conversation that you and I are having in which you're trying to convince me that, that there's, uh, that, that, <laughs> that, uh, that um, we're just automatons, just machines, basically. So nobody can live their life like that. It's a talk that nobody can walk if you will. The walk of Vedanta is not an easy walk, but, but Sukadev walked it. Hmm? Prikshrit Marjas is inspired by his talk because of his walk he came in naked. Hmm? Symbolically it means he had no, he, he had, there was nothing in this world that he depended on for his existence. He demonstrated that consciousness is independent of matter. Hmm? Of course, he's living within the biological circle and appearing within there, and so he has to feed the body and sleep, but it's very minimal extent to which he was he wasn't preoccupied with that. Hmm? And he, he's living so extremely for all intents and purposes independent of matter that you have to take notice of it. You can't just say, well, he eats too. I saw him. He had. To, he has to breathe. So well, you know, that's the. We we say that you know he he's now appearing within a biological circle, and there are necessities there. But see the extent to which they are minimized. It's radical. It's extreme. And why? And how? On the basis of the theory that consciousness is actually independent. So the extent to which he's experiencing the fact that he's independent of matter is the extent to which he doesn't require matter. Uh, or, or, or nothing matters to him, so to speak. Um, but yes, you know, the biological death will occur. We, 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 but we, but we don't. Um, but we're not biological. Is the point? Hmm? And of course, again, you, we can't. We, we, we cannot demonstrate objectively that consciousness is independent of matter. But we can come pretty close to it. And examples of Sukhu, they were pretty compelling. You have to think, these mystics, they're, they're pretty extraordinary. Uh, so, uh, of course, they're hidden away in places like this, and you know, out, of, out of the way, and, and uh, thought to be a little crazy, and so on and so forth. Uh, so, a few crazy people come and listen and participate. But... Uh, we, we think it has is, is value and is important. And Sukadev was a very good, uh, Prichit Marjan was a very good listener. Hmm? Here's the solution to the death problem. And this is what he talked about, these, these types of leelas and so forth. So the king is fascinated by this, and he's on the edge of his seat, paying close attention. So when Sukadev makes this remark, in closing, his inquiry opens the door to further discussion on the matter. And the implication of this, of course, is the attentive student, uh, the, the guru is bound to reveal to him or her all the esoteric truths. Prabhupada used to say, amongst many stars, I'm looking for one moon hmm? amongst his disciples that I can share everything with, something like that. So the receptivity, the, the interest on the part of the disciple is, as I say, part of the, the, the equation. There's a statement about uh, what, externally speaking, amongst sadhakas in particular, constitutes the exchange of love. Hmm? We're always talking about love of Krishna, right? What about love for one another? What, love for different devotees? This is a question that comes uh, in the mind of Rupa Goswami, and he answers it without asking the question, in Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu at, Sindhu, at the close of the chapter, dealing with staibhavas. Staibhavas mean dominant uh, spiritual emotions for Krishna that have the capacity to, to dominate over all other emotions 
and rise to the emotive experience in conjunction with other emotions, the emotive experience that we call rasa. So a stahibhav would be like sakya, friendship, dasya, servitude, vatsalya, uh, parenthood, parental love, uh, madhurya, romantic love in relation to Bhagwan. These are stahibhavs. Uh, so he des- describes the stai bhavs. It's all again about loving Krishna, about loving Krishna. So the thought comes in his mind, you can say, what about the love between the devotees in, in Leela? Hmm? They're all loving Krishna, but how do they feel towards one another? So then he, he, he gives the answer and he describes it as um, suhidrati. Suhridrati. Suhrid means friend. So it means love of the friend. Hmm? There's something else he says as kind of an afterthought that's called love of the friend. And there are instances in which the devotees love the friend a little less than they love Krishna or they love the friend and Krishna equally. There are even extreme instances in which they love the friend, other devotee, more than, more than Krishna. Hmm? And so he talks about them. And basically he says, where the love for Krishna and the love of the friend is equal, or when the love for Krishna is slightly greater than the love of the friend, we call that a sanchari bhava. It means a type of bhava that augments the stai bhava, the dominant emotion, and, and, and gives it a you know, kind of a, like if you have halava, you make it strawberry halava, you know, or blueberry halava, you know, something like that. It, it augments, it, it, it rises and falls, it, it, it comes and, and goes. So just like you love somebody prominently, and then you have, you have your friend who you also love, and, and they sometimes aug, they aug, serve to augment your, 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 the, the, the dominant love that you have because they, they know about that and they maybe assist you in that, something like this. So... Extreme case, of course, where they love the devotee more than Krishna. This particularly comes out in what we call Radhadasyam, where the Manjari attendants of Radhika they have more um, they're more fixated on on Radha than on than on than on Krishna. And there's a reverse out at that time. Then their stayibha for Krishna augments their sancharibha for Radha and causes it to increase. Um, so it's a very extraordinary. Uh, event, if you will, in the world of love. It's very complicated and a very higher topic, but this is how Rupa Goswami talks about the love of devotees for one another amongst siddhas, within rasa, within the lila. So these cowherds all have love for one another. The parents love them. They all love, the parents love the kids, the kids love the parents, but both the parents and the kids love Krishna more than than, than, than one another, so it all works very well in that sense. Uh, but there is love for the devotees. Now here what we're talking about hmm, um, is something else I'm coming to. That is how this love for devotees, between devotees, plays itself out externally and particularly in the world of sadhakas. So siddhas are one thing, perfected devotees. And then there are the sadhaka devotees who are practitioners. So how does love amongst practitioners play itself out? Rupa Goswami explains it briefly to be sixfold. Dadati patagrinati bhunkte bo jayate jaiva. What is it? Dadati patagrinati bhunkte bo jayate jaiva. Guhyam akyati prachati. Bhunkte bojayate jaiva sadvidha priti lakshanam. The lakshanam, the characteristic of priti, of love between devotees, this external characteristic, and particularly amongst sadhakas, is sixfold, he says. That dadati, patrinati, they think of things that other devotees like, and within their capacity, uh, they offer gifts to the devotee. Hmm? They exchange gifts, dadati, pratagrinati. They give and they accept gifts. They give gifts to other devotees and they accept gifts from other devotees. Hmm. Dadati, pratagrinati, 
guhyam akhyati prachati, bhunte bodhayate chayva. Third line says, they, they, they offer food and they take food from them. Hmm? They offer prashad, they take prashad. Hmm? And guhyam akhyati prachati. This is a particular one that, per, that, um, that pertains to what's happening here. This is the, it speaks largely about the relationship between the guru and the disciple. Hmm? It can be between two disciples also, but it would it be guhyam akhyati prachati. Guhyam means secret, confidential. To an exchange of love externally between sadhakas or amongst those practitioners or amongst us between a practitioner and a siddha who's posing as a sadhaka to teach by example, the guru, for example. Guhyam akhyati prachati means to inquire confidentially, to make confidential inquiries. Hmm? Uh, not like how's your health or something like that, but uh, yeah, but uh, but you know what? And, and it and it's it's also it's a it's, it's a philosophical, spiritually interested inquiry, pertinent for my own progress, um, and it's the kind of question that that well most maybe devotees wouldn't ask or something like that. And so he becomes inspired, she becomes inspired to reveal. So, so this is the kind of, uh, what we find here, he's paying such close attention. He asks the question, and Sukadev hears the question. Hmm? What does he do? Hmm? Prikshit Maharaj, I should say, by making the inquiry, he goes on to, it's, it's very interesting, it's, it's a beautiful formula. When we pray, this formula should be invoked. He has first glorified Sukadeva Goswami, O best of the yogis, O best of Brahmins, and so forth. This is your position. Hmm? And now he's going to state his own position. He says, he refers to himself as what? He says, Oh, and me, Bayam, Dayanat, Tama, Loke, Guru Pi, Chattabhandava. He says, I'm I'm not even a king. I'm not even in the warrior class. I'm just like a friend of the warrior class. I'm 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 a low end. He's deprecating himself. He feels um, inferior. He got in this position, the Raj, of being cursed to die because he dealt what would appear ostensibly to be inappropriately with with a Brahmin and a sage, and so he's remembering that. Hmm? And thinking of his his disqualification, but really, what's really we're finding here is he's super qualified, hmm? and that was all arranged by Krishna. That Parikshit Maharaj acted in ways that were totally out of character. That this Bhagavatam narrative of the Leela hmm, begins in about the seventh chapter of the first canto. For that's just all philosophy, and so then the narrative begins, and it begins by a description of Parikshit Maharaj, hmm? what he's like. Hmm? Because Sutta Goswami is speaking and he heard from Sukadeva and Sukadeva spoke to Parikshit Maharaj and so it, it comes up. And the qualities of Parikshit are extraordinary. Hmm? And we'll see that his, what he did was he, he found a sage meditating and the sage did not greet him when he came so he took exception to that because he was the king and he found a, uh, a dead snake and he garlanded the sage in meditation with the snake. It sounds like a pretty offensive thing to do, but it's totally out of character for Parikshit Maharaj to be frustrated, to be angry because somebody didn't res- show him respect and he was a yogi and a, and a Brahmin in a trance. And it, was a, it makes no sense whatsoever. Hmm? So when a great person acts out of character like that. There may be a great reason for it. That's possible. This is the case. Krishna was behind this, arranging this, that, that he would be cursed to die, and Sugadeva would come, and the Bhagavatam would be spoken in this way. Hmm? So he orchestrated the whole thing. So devotees may do embarrassing things at times, and Krishna may even arrange it to, for his own purposes, or to, he may humble them and embarrass them. They may go the distance. Hmm? It's like if you're running and you through the forest and you come to, oh, there's a creek here. I've got to cross over it. You've got to stop. 
maybe backtrack, get some momentum, and jump over, something like that. So Krishna's active in the lives of the devotees and sometimes arranges situations to humble them. Hmm? And they are humbled by it, and then, and then they go the distance. So Parikshit acted in a way that's unbecoming, but if we look carefully, we see that's out of character. That's something special behind, a special arrangement. See what he's like. He's fasting from, from, you know, for seven days. Here in the Bhagavatam, he's got these attentive uh, questions here. He's seriously interested in the subject matter. Hmm? He's deprecating himself out of humility. He's glorified his guru. He's deprecated himself when he's made a request. That's the formula for prayer. Hmm? So in effect, he's, he, he's done these three things. We say, oh, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, you are uh, a friend of the fallen and, uh, and uh, the most magnanimous appearance of the Godhead in the world. And I am a fallen servant of uh, in the, in the Bhaktivinoda Paribar. I have no good qualifications. But my request to you is this, something like that. That's the formula. So he's more or less shown that formula here. He's asked a question. He's deprecated himself or, you know, he's spoken about himself um, from his own perspective of how he feels about himself. We don't feel like that about him. We feel he is great and his inquiry is great and pushing the whole thing on and so forth. And again, as I say, he's glorified Sukadev. So this is the kind of meaningful inquiry that is discussed, for example, also in the Gita, where it's, it is said, the guru principle is introduced in the fourth chapter, and what does Krishna say there? Tadvidhi pranipatena pariprasnena sevaya pudakshantite jnanam jnaninas tatpadarshina. He says, pranipat pariprasnena sevaya. Pranipat means to uh, submit, hmm? Pariprashnena means to inquire, and the spirit behind the inquiry is sevaya, that I want to inquire from you in such a way that I may be more engaged and better understand the service, the divine service opportunity that's, that's come before me in, in the form of your personhood, your person. So sevaya, with a view to do, not just to gratify your intellect, something like that. Um, that may be there to some extent, but that, that should be, Guru should be able to like um, expose that. And inquiry should be relevant, meaningful for making progress, for understanding, not just curiosity. Sometimes people with devotees would ask Prabhupada, in the spiritual world, what happens after they eat? <laughs> and Prabhupada said, you know, why don't you go there and find out? Hmm? Those are like, you're trying to, really what's happening, you're trying to like, like somebody asked me once, that, Marsh, is there any real, I mean, you know, real sex in, in the spiritual world? I said, no, you don't understand. There's no real sex in this world. Hmm. You got it backwards. You, so you don't, you don't try to transport your experiences there. And it's, it's, we're talking about it. It's some, there's some similarity and there's some differences, big differences. There's ways of talking about it in relation to things that we're familiar with that can help, like I said the other night, give us a handle on it, but hmm, very different at the same time. Hmm. So, with a view to serve, Prabhupada used to say, I only asked my Guru Maharaj one question, how can I serve you? Hmm. Relevant inquiry. So this is, this is Pariprashnena Sevaya. Hmm. Submissive uh, inquiry. We should ha- we inquire and listen and try to hear something that's true. We know it's true. That's right. What he said, what she said is true. Then we have to incorporate that into our life. That's the idea. We make that a building block for my life. Hmm? Then we'll get more building blocks. Hmm? Otherwise, if I give you one and you don't take it, I'm, well, how are you today? Okay. And how's your job? Okay. <laughs> not interested in anything further, so we know, yeah, so keep it, keep you in the ballpark somehow or other. But there are other things to talk about. There are more pertinent uh, things, and this is what Prickshit's interested in. Hmm? Again, he's given up eating, sleeping, just to hear to hear this this kind of attentiveness, and it's so. Um, um, 
uh, overtly so that it really strikes the Sugadev Goswami. So the chapter ends with uh, with um, um, a description of how Sugadev responded to the question in spirit. And um, basically it transported him hmm, into the answer and the implications of the answer that are coming in the next chapter, which is the Brahma-vimohana, the central part of that, which is, which is, is the full face of Sakurasa. That's what we find. We'll, 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 we'll come to that, this friendly love. It's already been described to some extent, but the, 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 the description of the intimacy between Krishna and his friends having their picnic that, that caused Brahma to really wonder what's, what's going on here. Sukadeva is transported there, so to speak, to the answer, and he's, in, he's like sent into, uh, into a trance. Hmm? It says, Sukadeva immediately remembering the subject matter about Krishna within the core of his heart, externally lost consciousness. What kind of nice question is that? The student asks the question and the guru passes out from the inquiry. Oh my God, what a question. That is incredible. That means he's, he's been taken to the answer and it's overwhelming and then he has to come back from that and try to speak about it with logic and like I said the guru has to speak two languages he has to speak the language of love and he has to be able to translate it into the language of, of logic and reason that we can get a handle on because that's the language we speak hmm? we have the potential to speak the language of love but we have to be reasonable first hmm? that's why I call it wise love hmm? bhakti so this is what happened to Sukadev he passed out thinking about this um Sakirasa and all the implications of, of Brahma's bewilderment and, and so on and so forth. And then with great difficulty, the chapter concludes, he revived himself, came to external consciousness, and began to speak, began to give the answer. Maharaj Pritchard, he wrestled himself down from a higher plane to, to speak to him on his level and answer and try to translate his experience that constitutes the answer into a reasonable presentation and, uh, and description that would give Brikshit Maharaj some inspiration and some semblance of understanding of, of what it's about. So, confidential inquiry. Hmm? This is the subject of today's discussion. Sukadev will go on. He says... Uh, sadhu, now Sukadev begins to speak in the next chapter. He says, Sadhu Prishta Mahabhaga Tvaya Bhagavat Ottama Yanutana Sya Shishasya Srinban Apikatam Muhu. He's just like praising his disciple. He says that, uh, he says, Sadhu Prishta Mahabhaga, you are a greatly fortunate person and I am blessed and honored by the by the kind of questions you're answering I'm, I'm purchased by that um, he says you are Bhagavat Uttam you are the best of devotees you see this is the rapport between the guru and the disciple it's a, it's, it's a mutual Mutual appreciation society. <laughs> uh, that's often thought as a bad thing, but here's it's a good thing. Hmm? The, uh, uh, the guru is often depicted as this fellow just telling people what to do, but actually he, he or she is really learning from everybody, uh, all of the students, and, and their inquiries are causing him or her to speak about subject in ways that have never been spoken about it before, and it's a very exciting, um, loving exchange hmm. you know he didn't just say uh, don't speculate you're asking too many questions uh, you know no, it wasn't like sometimes find so called gurus like that because they really don't have the answers and so they just you ask too many questions are there any other questions 
something like that. No, so he's very qualified, and he's glorifying his guru, hmm? or his disciple. Hmm? He says that, yanutanasyashishasya srinvan apikatamuhu. He says, you are such that you are perceiving the fact that these pastimes, these leelas, are newer and newer. There's always more to be drawn from them. I've lectured on these chapters several times, and always new things come out. This is the point. He says, you've, you've, you've got the spirit of this. That you, 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 you never tire of hearing this. This is anurag. Hmm? It, Krishna appears. He always appears new. He always appears like, wow, it's, it's, it's something more about him. Every time you see him, this is called anurag. Anuragabhajan. So Pritchard Mars is, is such such an such an inquirer, and Sugadeva was taking note of it. Hmm? Uh, and so he 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 glorifies him. He, again, he says, "Satam ayam sarabritam nisargo yad artavani shuti chetasam upi prati chanam navya bad achutas sajat." Striya bitanam evasadu artha. Paramhamsas, great devotees, have accepted the essence of life, who have accepted, who have embraced the essence of life, they are attached to Krishna, he says, in the core of their hearts. And he, Krishna, is the aim of their lives, it is their nature to talk about Krishna at every moment, as if such topics are newer and newer. They are attached to such sub- subjects just like materialists are attached to topics of the opposite sex and the exchange between, between the sexes is what makes the world go round. Mitam, what is it? Maitunya bhavam. Anyway. Is a, is a certain kind of bhav, maitunya bhav. Maitunya means shackles, like a ball in a chain. Pumsastriyo maitunya bhav ametor. Pumsastriyo, the attraction between pumsa and stri means a, a man and woman, is what is the binding force of the world, makes the world go around. I mean, it, it produces new kids, as you can see. So, so it keeps the thing going. Hmm? Um, in other words, the thinking... You're a man, I'm a woman, and seeing the differences, those differences, and uh, without seeing the atma in each person, like Sukadev, he, he was naked, he didn't see a difference between men and women, hmm? was the idea. He had transcended, so to transcend that um, conditioning. This is the basis of um, uh, spiritual life. So he says, what to speak of such basic spiritual life, the Paramhamsas, essence-seeking, superlative devotees, that they are attached to Krishna in the way, in similar to the way in which this uh, attachment between the sexes is, just goes on without thinking about it. Hmm? Right? It's just natural. Therefore you think, well, anyway, whatever you think, but it's just, it's just spontaneous. It's, now imagine... If you felt for Krishna like that, this is this is where we're going. That's pretty extraordinary. Hmm? Just like you, even without wanting to, you think, "Wow, she looks good," or "He's uh, he's attractive." Huh? This is yeah, just automatically. Huh? That he says, "This is how where you're where the king where, where we're going with this." You're starting to feel like this for Krishna. Imagine Sukadeva is thinking, "My disciples getting it." He's getting it from this inquiry. He could feel like, wow. And he's ready now to just give him everything, just, just give, give himself exclusively to this, to this disciple. He's so excited about this. He wants the disciple to grow and learn and, 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 and then learn from his learning and so forth. So such a beautiful uh, glorification of, of, of the disciple and the inquiry on the part of the master Hmm? We hear. He says, O king, kindly hear then with great attention. Hmm? 
Although the activities of Bhagawan are very confidential, no ordinary being is able to understand them. I shall speak to them, to you about them. For spiritual masters explain to submissive disciples, even subject matters, that are very confidential and difficult to understand. Hmm? They don't explain it to others because they're not in a position to understand. Hmm? You have to bring them along further, then you'll be able to understand the question, something like that. So, a beautiful exchange between guru and disciple we find here as the introduction to the next section of this Lila, which will follow in the next class. And um, we'll hear another, again, the central focus of this whole affair. It's not really Brahma's bewilderment. It is Brahma's bewilderment, but it's what bewilders him. Hmm? What bewilders him oddly is Krishna's opulence, but more so is the, the prema madhurya that he's surrounded by. Hmm? In this case, in Sakirasa. It's, it's, it, this is what's bewildering him because it's causing Krishna to act in a certain way that's, that, that he's wondering, is this really Krishna? Is this God? Well, what's happening here? And then he says, I am God, yes. He shows it, as we'll see. But, but it's the, this, this prema madhurya, this is the central, he'll give a beautiful description of this. So, <laughs> are there any questions? Yes. If the devotee has developed very strong Gyan Samsa and isn't dependent on the Guru, I just wonder what's the dilemma of that or how that could be resolved. If they have a Gyan Samskar and they're, they think they're not dependent on a Guru. Mm, yeah, they may not feel what they are anymore and they're very strongly trying to do it themselves. But they may not be aware of that. Well, it could be any number of things. They may have a very unqualified Guru which means they should find a more qualified guru, as a siksha guru at least, hmm? um, uh, and not think that they're self-reliant and, uh, and not with, uh, without need of help. Hmm? We need all the help we can get, should be the, the idea. So it's, that's, that would betray a very... Uh, actually a very limited and very poor understanding of what's what one is involved in hmm? um, here. Um, we're going to, as Sridhar once described, the land of gurus, where even the dust is our guru and teacher there. So the tendency to hear from advanced devotees and to not rely upon one's own ability but more on grace and rather than effort, and make effort to get grace, as I often say, hmm, is central to bhakti. So the way, at least I hear you talking about it, it's referring to someone who is more effort-based and has missed the whole point. Hmm. In bhakti, again, the effort is to get grace. So it's really a grace-oriented from up-to-down type of... Um, uh, means of revelation, whereas the Gyan Marg and Yoga Margs, they're more ascending in their nature. They're more effort-based. Uh, they don't go as high. They don't extend as high, as deeply into transcendence. Because, again, as I've said, if you love someone, then they tell you all their secrets. Hmm? But if you don't love someone but, but someone, but you want their knowledge or you want their, their place, you know, then... They might give you something, but they're not going to give you everything about themselves. So, so if you want Brahman, eternal existence, oh, you can have that. If you want uh, omniscience, like in yoga, you can have that. Hmm? But if you want Krishna himself, hmm? he can be purchased by love. And that's another thing. Hmm? So it's a very... Um, poor understanding of bhakti on the part of someone who thinks he, he, he knows more. So that's a double problem. Hmm? Um, and uh, I think that, that the solution, the potential, depends how bad it is, but the potential solution for such a person is to, if they can come in touch with a, a, a very advanced devotee, then they'll, then they'll, if they're a little submissive, they'll realize they don't really know very much. They thought they understood this verse, that verse, and they, I know that Leela, and so on. And then they realize, oh, I didn't know Mary. There's a lot there I didn't know about, it, and so forth. And, and um, hopefully they can, you know, 
give him give him my give him some of my lectures to listen to and see if he thinks he still knows something after that. Um, that might be, or somebody else's, but that might be. That person definitely needs one who thinks I don't need a guru. Definitely needs a guru. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. Hmm. And you know, we find the greatest devotees pining for that kind of association. Narutam saying, oh, what can I do? Rupa Goswami's gone. Krishna's Kabiraj is gone. How will I carry on my life? Be my teachers. And he's a perfect siddha. Hmm? So, how can a, a, a sadhaka, even in the lower stages of sadhaka, think he's going to just make it on his own? It's, it's contrary to the whole idea of bhakti. By bhakti, we advance by sangha, by attaching ourselves to others who are like-minded, affectionate, and more advanced than ourselves, or contemporaries whom we can get strength from in our pursuit. In the Gyanmarg, the path of knowledge, we advance by detachment. It's just the opposite, by giving things up and so forth, and acquiring knowledge, and the knowledge as to the temporary nature of things. So I... I have this corresponding by ragya. This all makes the heart kind of hard, actually. Hmm? In bhakti, it's just the opposite, and we, we advance by sangha. So, if I if I don't if I think well, there's nobody out there that's 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 really advanced that I could hear from. If I could find someone, I would. You're basically saying I'm more advanced than anybody out there. You know, translate it. You know, is that what you're saying? Well, I didn't say that, but yeah, that's how it plays out. There's no one. In, is there anyone in the a little bit more advanced that you could hear from? You know, <laughs> that's a, and that's how we should be thinking. Is there anyone a little bit more advanced? I used to go to lectures. Um, you know, I don't attend too many lectures these days. I'd love to, but uh, I don't have the opportunity for a number of reasons. But. I used to go, and I, if I could hear one point, just one point in the lecture, one a good analogy that, that, that shed greater light on a philosophical point, or one point that, that, I, that struck me, that I, think I, was, I thought it was, was worth, worth going, even if the rest of it, where the guy was just trying to fill in time, you know, and, and, and so forth. So this is really the way to listen. What to speak if you can hear many points, and, and you can't even remember them all, and so forth, and uh, then uh, that's good company, good association. So that, anyway, should be the spirit. And, um, and, I, and I, I, mean, I give lectures, and I think I could learn something by giving a lecture hmm? from the questions, or we're going to talk about it, and, and, and the audience is interested, so new things will come out. And so I say things in the lecture all the time that I never said before, never came to me before. So it, I take it as a learning uh, experience. So in the language of Sridharmarsh, for example, in this school, we're all students forever. Hmm? That, that should be the spirit. And it sounds like the kind of persons you're talking about have lost that spirit. And that's, that's, a, that's very, very unfortunate. Hmm? It's very counter to what bhakti sadhana is, is, all, is all about. Hmm? So you try to share that with them. Hmm? They're not going to get too far with that. Hmm? Another question? She said, um, Sanchari love, augments Sadi love. Yeah. And I was wondering, um, I think it's a two part question, if you could give an example of, of what that would look like. Yeah. Um, understanding. And then also, you mentioned um, Siddhas and Sadika. So does that apply to both or just to the Siddha? Yeah. Well, there's, there are 33 Sanchari Bhavs that are mentioned hmm, in Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu. And uh, not all of them apply to every stayibhav. So each different stayibhav, like Sakya, Batsalya, Madhurya, has certain sanchari bhavs that, that are at play. Hmm? And so, like, like um, pride would be a sanchari bhav. Hmm? Um, uh, a kind of a spiritual pride. Um, Based, it could be based on three different things, but it came, for example, in Agasura Lila, 
in the classes we gave previous to this this setting, uh, when the coward boys in their sakirasa, they wanted to enter into the mouth of Agasur. So one of the ways in which pride manifests is that, that one feels proud of having um, Krishna in, in one's life, something like that. So my main relationship, for example, the cowherds, is, is in sakirasa. He's our friend. And suddenly, at this moment, we feel proud that he's our friend. And pride is an emotion. It can't dominate in the way that Sakya does and determines my whole life and my whole, it's the basis of the whole relationship. But it, it comes into, the, uh, into it, and they enter in the mouth of Agasur with this kind of pride, like, uh, anyway, even if he tries to, to develop, you know, to, 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 to swallow us, Krishna will protect us. We, 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 we you know, we, we, we're we're proud we've taken shelter of him. We, we have nothing to worry about, worry about, something like that. Or jubilation or lamentation may come. For, um, as I say, there's, there's 33. So there, these, in your own life, you know, you have, let's say you have a romantic relationship, um, conjugal relationship, and in that other emotions come. They don't, they don't define the whole picture like your romantic relationship defines the whole relationship. But there are other emotions that are involved, and they come in sometimes, and they take precedence to some extent, and and shape it, and and so then you'll get jealous love. Hmm? Why were you looking at that guy? You know, the guy. He says, "I I think you were." You know, what are you talking about? You know, and, and, and you know that. So that you know, for example, might happen, and uh, so that way it augments, or it, I mean, to say it, it kind of spices up the whole. Affair and those emotions they come and they go, they come and they go. They never can take the point where they become dominant. There are some sentiments that are um, secondary stayibhavs. They are the primary stayibhavs like dasya, sakya, servitude, friendship, vatsalya, parental love, conjugal, romantic, madhurya. Shringar, it's called Madhuri, we call it sweet. Uh, and then there's um, amazement, um, uh, humor, comedy, hasya, adbutam, hasyam, so on and so forth. There's seven of those. And they are like like sanchari bhavs in that they come and go, but they have power to dominate the situation in ways that others don't. So in friendship, for example, may be dominated at some point by hasya. And at that point, it means humor. So Krishna cracks a joke and they just, everybody just, you know, is rolling on the ground, holding their stomachs. It's just take, really taken over. Hmm? And so they, they taste hasya rasa. And, and then the, the sakya rasa is still there. It just recedes to the background a little bit. And hasya has the power to take over the situation. Mm-hmm. the emo- emotional reality for, for some time. So it's a secondary type of rasa. But then the, the sanjaras are distinguished from those because none of them have the power to dominate entirely the, you know, the, the whole uh, affair and, 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 and in conjunction with others ascend to the point of what we call, it's an aesthetic term, but what we call rasa. Rasa means that you have the stayibhav, you have a sancharibhav, you have a vibhav, you have anubhav and sattvigabhavs all at once happening. They're called rasa. This is all about the world of ecstasy. See, like I said earlier in the morning, one morning, what this is all about is the ecstasy of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. That's what we're all exploring here. Hmm? That's what he exhibited certain, a measure of ecstasy that's not seen anywhere in religious history. And we, we find that, that, that it, uh, the Goswamis have then located on the scriptural map, and they're talking about it. So it comes to Prem Bhakti and Krishna Leela and so forth. So it's a whole world of ecstasy. Now, with the other part of your question is whether, how does, does, that, does that higher idea of Sanchari Bhav, Suridrati, one of, it's kind of a 34th Sanchari Bhav. I said there were 33. This is a kind of different. The love of the friend. Hmm? Um, does, how, does that play out in the life of the sadhaka, or does that only play out in the life of the siddha? 
well, it's really talked about in the life of the Siddhas because it's talking in the context of, of, of rasa, but it has some shadow, obviously, of an application in the life of the sadhaka inasmuch as your relationships with other devotees hopefully are such that they're supportive of your service to your guru and to, uh, to your pursuit of Krishna consciousness and so they serve to augment, support uh, what you're dominantly pursuing. It's kind of a shadow of that idea. And I have spoken about it like that to, to by way of, for the point of underscoring the fact that the, the, the devotees should love one another, but then again, they should be devotees. <laughs> and they should be interested in, 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 in the subject matter and helping one another to progress, something like that. Hmm? Okay. Sorry, we'll stop there. We'll meet again this evening. Shkantara Srimad Bhagavatam Kijai. Namaste Mahotsava Kijai.